independent filmmaking is most always a struggle. And that's the thing we're going to look into with this podcast called The Independent Filmmaker. We are interviewing people of all experiences and what it took to get their films made. I'm your host, Gary Duffy, an independent filmmaker from Modesto, California. And welcome to The Independent Filmmaker. guest is Christopher Leon Price. He is an independent filmmaker from Los Angeles, California. Chris, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm great, Gary, and I couldn't be happier to be on your wonderful podcast. Well, I'm ecstatic that you're on here. It's actually kind of weird to talk to you because I've listened. Chris has a, a show called Hollywood Hangover. It's a, it's a podcast, and uh, it's a mix between um, studio and independent film, and they both know a lot about all of it. And so if you get a chance to listen to theirs, it's funny, it's entertaining, and they actually know what they're talking about. So to hear you on the podcast, and now I'm actually talking to you, it's like, whoa. Uh, <laughs> well, they, they tell you to never meet your heroes, so uh, just uh, keep that in mind, Mr. Gary. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again for coming on, man. Um, yeah, it's great. So let's go back to the beginning, uh, little Chris. So... What got you into independent filmmaking? I mean, was it was it were you aiming for independent ma- filmmaking? Are you still aiming for like a, a, a studio or are you just going for like all of the above? Um, I mean, well, there's a lot of questions there. I think I'll start, you know, at the at the beginning, like you suggested. Yeah. Um, I think, um, you know, like almost everybody in the Western Hemisphere who uh, grew up in the time when, you know, we're relatively close in age uh around our generations we were brought up completely engulfed in cinema and in well, film. I, I was born in 79 okay i was born in 86 so we're like yeah we're pretty close then yeah we? seven years it's not that big you know you're no. G- more of a gen x or i'm more of a millennial but uh but uh yeah like similar in the sense that we're always watching television we're always watching movies on tv we're always going to movies it was always uh, an event. It was always, you know, like Joe Russo, uh, my great podcasting partner on uh, Postmortem and uh, Hollywood Hangover. He says it's like, you know, going to church. And I couldn't agree more. It was a weirdly religious experience mm-hmm. to go to the movies and see films at a really influential age. Some of the best films like Jurassic Park came out at a in a year when I, I think I was like seven or eight or something at the time mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, just knock my socks off. And, you know, when you're in that environment, it forges you toward film sometimes. And I have old uh, home movies of uh, my dad would have his uh, video camera. And uh, for whatever reason, my family bought me a uh, like a 
a football uniform. I wasn't even like old enough to play football. I was just okay. like, like a play helmet and like these pads and they like put it on me and I was like four or five and I was like running around the backyard at my grandparents' place and my dad has the camera on me and I and I was telling him what to do with the camera. I was like, <laughs> oh, go over here. I'm going to do this thing and like, you know, that kind of stuff. And um, it's kind of crazy that we still have that, you know, on like a high eight somewhere, you know, that uh, really. Yeah. Yeah. Of me doing that. And I think it was always kind of in me to kind of want to not just see the movies, but kind of uh, be involved and like be creative with it. And that's kind of been a through line through my whole life and all of the interests I have. I'm a, I'm a kind of a jack of all trades. People talk about being jack of all trades, but like, I feel like I really am one because I, I just have such a kaleidoscope of, of things that I'm into and uh, filmmaking though, kind of was the one that was strongest. And, you know, I did the thing that a lot of people did. I made home movies uh, on my parents' camcorder. No, were these with like your, your buddies from school and stuff? Cause that's what we used to do. Yeah. I, when I did it, I had like that one best friend shout yes. out to, to Dallas. He's out there somewhere um dallas and i were like best buds and he was like the friend who would like come over and like sleep over like the whole weekend his his like mom just like left him there for like days at a time and yes, mine, mine was tim tim Neater, oh tim they're listening yeah yeah shout out to tim <laughs> um but uh so dallas and i we would you know we would do all kinds of things I'll, uh, i don't know if you did this but i played with action figures yes we did and, a lot of stop motion and uh animation with the uh you know it never came out that great but we sure. did a lot of stop motion with our vhs camera and it wasn't my vh camera it was actually tim's vhs camera his parents and uh luckily <laughs> you know looking back uh, i don't know if i would have let us use it to tell you the truth i mean that was expensive back then but they yeah they let us have free reign with it man we did a lot of crazy stuff with that camera and I think it's uh, and thank goodness they did right. And I think even if you didn't have a camera, I, well, the point I was gonna direction I was gonna go in is when you're playing with action figures with your friends, you're kind of like telling a story, right? Uh, it's like yes. I got you know Bebop and Rocksteady over here, and you got Leonardo and Donatello, and you know we did this thing and we beat you up, and then you have to come after us. It's like you're almost like practicing for filmmaking already i and had trouble playing with action figures with other children because i felt they weren't telling the story <laughs> yeah, well like, enough hey, hey, and it was just like random script. violence i was like there's no point to this what are we doing <laughs> well yeah it was like i don't know it's kind of interesting like i wish i could somehow like transport myself back somehow and just be like a phantasm above myself while i was playing with my toys and like kind of trying to figure out what my inner workings were at the time because yeah you know you're it's just your imagination and what you see in your own head and like what you just mentioned that doesn't always line up with uh, other kids um but um anyways i digress the, the point is um i was you know, making home movies a lot. We would do this, um, like we would do it with like guns. You know, I liked like action movies. I liked like John Claude Van Damme and Steven Seagal action oh, movies yeah. growing up. Oh yeah. And uh, you know, I had a bunch of play toy guns, and we would do like shootout sequences that looked absolutely awful. I there's a video I still have of like uh us doing like a shootout, and my mom's like folding laundry in the background. <laughs> you need to transfer these all over. I I have one of the tapes on VHS and I've already done that Gary and sure. um 
I need to find the other ones. There are my family, you know, I have a big family. Somebody out there has them. So uh, I definitely will do that. But, um, you know, I did that for in the beginning part of my life. And uh, I think I did like stupid ass videos in um, high school. It, you know, I, it, they became more like um, early memes, like early internet kind of memes. Like I had this video I made when I was like a sophomore in uh, high school and it was uh, called barcodes. And okay. it was just like random shit. It was just like my friends like screaming into the camera, like someone squirting like mustard onto a wall, like just that's in know, now though. <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> way ahead of its time, avant-garde, like silliness, right? And um, I would put like music over it. And I just love the uh I spent a lot of time in the editing bay. I spent I I loved like what weird like things can I put together, you know? And um, this was before I figured out about like Sergei Eisenstein and like juxtaposition and all like the real beauties of editing. It was just fun to like put stuff together. Um, if you continue to let me ramble, I'll mention that I it. also I also played the shit out of this game called a super, uh, no, Spider-Man movie maker. And it was like a old windows 95 like rudimentary as you could possibly get like program and it would give you like little animated gifs of like spider-man like flipping or like dr octopus like crawling on the ground or whatever and you could have like templates with backgrounds and you can give them little voice bubbles and you can create like your own like moving comic book this is what you could do and i played hell i think like, that's cool now man yeah, it is cool. And I just loved doing that. Anytime I could, there was a, a video game. That's another thing I'm really into are video games. Anytime there was like a, a, a way to customize something or to, there was this game I played uh, called uh, Soul Calibur. Do you ever play Soul oh, Calibur? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A uh, great sore weapons based fighting game. And uh, Soul Calibur was like the big one that came out on Dreamcast. And you could change the like cinematic opening. You could like change the like order of when the characters appeared and stuff. And I spent almost as much time doing that as I did playing the actual game. <laughs> so it was just, you know, always in me, I think, to manipulate things, to uh, tell a story. Yeah, and, and more like, I don't know, it, it was just fun to me. It was just always was fun to do that. So those were the beginnings for me, Gary. Yeah. Well, and, and so you, you've gone through high school and all that. So something must have made you, at some point you went to film school, correct? Yes. So I went to Arizona State and um, my first year... Well, like how did, how did you know you actually wanted to go to film school? I mean, was this? Well, I didn't. That's where I'm getting to here. Ooh, so, okay. this, so I just go to ASU because I'm from Arizona. Um, I'm a hometown boy. Uh, I've been in L.A. for like 12 years now, but uh, I wasn't going out of state anywhere. I didn't do great on my SATs. I was just like, well, I guess I'll go to like the biggest community or not community, biggest uh, big undergraduate college I could go to. So that was ASU. Uh, I went to that and I really didn't know what I was going to do with my life at that point, Gary. I was just, you know, a college kid. I was growing up. I had a lot of problems at home with like family issues and whatnot and uh, just trying to like figure life out. And uh, so my first year I was a journalism major. I 
uh, took some writing classes. Um, and I really kind of thought like, maybe I could write for, you know, the newspaper or for sports. Cause I really love sports too. So like this could maybe be something, but about halfway through my uh, first year at uh, ASU, I, uh, they announced that they were creating a film school and Ooh. it would be the first, uh, I would be one of the first uh, p- uh, groups of people. It was, they weren't even classes yet. I think there were like 25 of us in my graduating class. Um, there were just like these small groups of people who were just getting the degree for it going and getting that school film school going. So were they go actually now, like prepped and ready to go? Cause you were one of the first classes to go through. And I, I work at a, at, at a school. I'm not a teacher. I'm a custodian, but I've seen new uh, curriculum be like implemented and it's not always hundred percent to go. They, they think they are, but it's not really till like two or three downs the line where they're like, Oh, Oh, we, we, we they didn't know what the hell they were doing. They uh, okay. were flying by the seat of their pants. These days, the Arizona State University Film School is spectacular. They just opened a brand new state of the art building. I, I wish I could like go back in time somehow and get the experience that kids well, and, and I'm now. sure you had a good I'm sure it was a good program. I mean, they're just not going to throw crap out at, at a college. Well, no, you might be surprised. Uh, I mean, I don't want to decry it or or anything like that. I really appreciated my time at Arizona State and it, it really gave me a um, opportunity. And this is kind of what college film school really is good for is that it gives you an opportunity to make mistakes and it yeah. gives you a scaffolding to do something larger than you would probably be able to do given your um, experience level. And so making film mistakes can be so expensive, man. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's insane. And um, you know, even at that level, it's pretty expensive too. And like, it only goes up and up. I mean, there's really no ceiling on how expensive any film can be, but um, you know, my time at Arizona state and uh the films I made at that time, I probably made like, I don't know, like eight projects during the four and a half years I was at ASU. Um, that was really just, you know, cutting your teeth and getting better at something and growing up a little bit. And it kind of all accumulated to me moving out here, which is kind of like, you know, sometime throughout college, I decided like, okay, film isn't just the thing I kind of want to do i really want to do it and the only place you can really do that is los angeles that's at least the kool-aid me and many other people had drink at the time and um i've still continue to drink it because i'm still out here and there is much merit to being out here but um is there really i mean at this point in time there there really is quite honestly uh the way the the internet is now and and i don't know I think like, it's a debatable in a lot of ways. However, I know there's a lot of people I know down there who's like, no, I must live here because this is where the work is. Yes, that's true. But at the it same could... time, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Well, I, I well, I mean, it, it's, so. it's one of those things is it's interesting, Gary. It's like, um, you are right that because of the internet and because of how everything is kind of decentralized that yes, you can live in like, Idaho, no place, America, and you can make a great film and you can show it to people. And all those things are absolutely possible now, whereas they were not possible before. But I think that there 
is still something to be said in, in, in almost like intangible ways, like for being seen in Los Angeles, for working with people, with having longevity out here, um, for kind of like, I don't know, it's like trying to be a fisherman, but you're just fishing from the little man-made lake in your backyard in the middle of America somewhere instead of going to the ocean. Right. And Los Angeles is still the entertainment capital of the world. And if you need to have a meeting or if you want to get a film made or if you have something that premieres, plays locally, um, you have access to all of that. Um, I mean, I couldn't tell you how many early screenings and wonderful opportunities I've had uh, by living out here. And I also think this kind of brings up a broader topic. I will get back to all my other stuff later, but I think that it's important enough to discuss is um, the perception of filmmaking as a lifestyle. I think that that is one of the most misunderstood, least um, knowable things for people out there. Um, I'll, I'll pitch it back to you a little bit, Gary. Um, here's a question I ask a bunch of young filmmakers um, every time I meet them. Cause you know, I'm in my mid thirties now I'm just turned 36 and uh, I will meet oftentimes 24, 27, 28 year old filmmakers who just moved out here or, you know, and they're have their rose colored glasses and, you know, they're ready to tear this town up and take right. over and like all those things. And I, I ask them this question and it usually takes them off guard. And that is, um, so what do you think, your day-to-day -day looks like as a filmmaker and a lot of them are like well i'm writing a script or i'm on set or i'm at a pitch meeting somewhere and it's like yeah it's true that that does happen but that's probably like 0.001 percent of your actual amount of time like a lot of your other time is this kind of intangible thing that you don't really know what it's like or how it is until you do it. And that's living the lifestyle of an independent filmmaker, uh, communicating and socializing and, and trying to embed yourself into the town in a meaningful way. It sounds very it, stressful. <laughs> it, it is. And that's why it burns people out. And honestly, like I haven't figured it out myself either, Gary, I'm going to be honest. Like uh, I am still on that journey. And I think um, the perception thing um, kind of tying it all together, the, the perception of filmmaking is that it's like any career. You 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 put in you know ten years of decent work, and then you know you're off to the races, and you have a living wage and continuous work and a pension and like all these things. It's like no, that's not how filmmaking works. It's it's more like modeling or it is because you you are your product. Yes, so and you're you, correct in living down there. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of benefits just by talking right now about living down there. And, uh, but it's like a double-edged sword. Like if you're not working, it's expensive. Yeah. But and, if you are working, you, you, I don't know. Well, it, it can be great in that yeah. way. And I think this is also the thing. It's like everybody's different in answering this question. It's like if you can't go through that um, – if you can't go beyond that process of that first 10 years I mentioned where it's like, okay, those first 10 years. And then all of a sudden you think you're going to make it, but then you haven't. It's like, okay, there's kind of like a weird, should I keep going? 
mm-hmm. continuing to be a starving artist in hopes that I have my big break and then it can combo into like a lifestyle that I'm looking for. Yes, because or, you've got to start thinking about retirement and all this. And, and if you don't yeah, have that, you're going to be on the street. So a lot of times that burns people out or they kind of do kind of what I've done because um, I work for a school district as well. My day job is a, I'm an audiovisual technician for a school district out here. Oh, cool, dude. All right. And that's my, that's my like buoy though. That's what keeps me uh, above water. And that's what keeps me alive and able to live out here in Los Angeles and is flexible enough. You know, I just shot a short film. I showed it to you. I sent it to you, uh, jerk. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, And uh, so I've been able to still create content, put myself out there, work on the podcasts that I work on um, and build myself up a lot more than I definitely have been in the past. But I haven't like made it yet. And I think this is kind of my final point on the whole, you know, the perception of being an independent filmmaker and, and making it and all those kinds of things is it takes a long time. I think if you look at the whole, especially if you want to be a director or a writer, um, the average director's age is like 55, yes. something like that. It's like, that's, you know, that's not a goal you should try to really feasibly get in your twenties or thirties. That's like a hugely privileged job that is incredibly hard to do and to attain. And it takes time. It's like being the CEO of a company. You have to work toward that. And some people, you know, they'll do it early or maybe they get a couple in and then they aren't able to do it again. And being successful at it is even harder. There's so many layers, Gary. And And again, um, you know, you're marketing yourself. So to be like 50 or something like that, it takes time for people to actually know who you are. Yeah. And you have an inventory of your work, which is what you're developing right now. And and I got to say, I watched your your films and you put out quality. Well, so, so they may be like nine, 15 minutes, right? But they're quality. Everything's shot correctly. Everything sounds beautiful. The color's beautiful. Everything's great. So you're putting your best foot forward is what you're doing. And and you're killing it, I think. Well, well, thanks, Gary. And I think um, the only reason why I was able to make those I showed you my two most recent ones over the last couple of years, but um, you know, the journey to that, uh, a lot of the films I made were not great. Like going back to, um, you know, when I first moved out here, uh, I moved out here in 2011 and I dude, like life is so funny. Like it's, uh, <laughs> it's almost better you know, ignorance is bliss. It's almost like better that you're just naive sometimes and you just don't know what the hell you're doing. So I made my first feature. Oh, yeah. And you just throw yourself into it. And like, I I moved out to LA with two of my uh, really close friends. Shout out to Daphne and Mike. Uh, We moved out here and we had no idea what the hell we were doing. We didn't, I didn't have any job. I had to, I got my job at Starbucks when I first moved out here. Um, Man, it was just a um, it was wild. And I almost felt like my first few years out here, like maybe the first like four years I I came to L.A., it was almost like college 2.0. Yeah, we were having parties every weekend. It was all these different groups of people. (laughs) There is everybody's doing something cool. It's like, oh, I have all these musicians around and they're on tour. And oh, there's these filmmakers, guys. And oh, they're this actress or this person's a model. And I hung out with these people who are in the dance industry. Like it was 
it was a great time, dude. Like, let me tell you, like it was, uh, I had way too much fun and, uh, I was trying to be this like artist trying to make it in his twenties. And, um, I think a lot of that came to a head, um, probably about four or five years ago, you know, probably like around when I had just turned like 30. I think if you kind of fuck around and you do what a lot of people do in their 20s, especially like artists where they kind of divide their attention amongst their social circle and their uh, projects. Yeah. If you do that a little, if you do that imbalanced, then uh, it catches up to you. So like I had a real um, kind of sobering time around my 30s where I was, uh, I don't know, I, I was like getting food stamp money. I was, uh, my job was not a real job. I was teaching chess to kids at, okay. uh, after school and like doing IT work at another school and it wasn't full time. And I was like going into debt because I was shooting these movies that I couldn't afford. And I was charging on my credit cards. Like, man, I just made all these mistakes, dude. Right. And, and it really wasn't till probably like, I don't know, four or five years ago since that time where I uh, kind of started like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I need to like stabilize. I need to figure out a plan. I need to have something that's steady and I need to take on projects that are not going to put me in the hole. Absolutely. And you, you, you need to make sure you have, as you said before, an anchor which is like me at the school district. I mean, that pays mm -hmm. for all my, that pays for all of my living expenses, um, right? As well as health insurance. Yes, because that's if, which if is something huge. goes wrong with you, you're screwed. You know, so you've you've got to have that anchor, and that allows me to do things such as buy the equipment I want and need. And you know, I I just I don't go out and buy everything I need at once. You know, you got to save up for it. And once you're there, boom, then you have it. But you have the best of the best of the best. And it's yours. Yeah. Then there's like, for me, I, I rent a lot of equipment because some stuff is just so prohibitively expensive. Oh, owning it. Let me tell you, my equipment's not, when I say the best of the best of the best, excuse me, I'm not out there buying like a red camera, but as, as for my little Sony a 6,300 records in 4k, you know, I've, I've got a, 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 a serial lens on there. That's a anamorphic lens and, and all this. So by the time I'm done, I've got a little package there. It's about $3,000. And, and it's beautiful, but I definitely see where you're getting at with renting cameras because I do have friends who do rent cameras. And oh gosh, that's an image. Yeah, and you know, for the two projects you saw, um, those were two RE Alexa cameras with really nice lenses, like you know, twenty thousand dollar lenses on them. Yeah. And that's how you kind of, that's the difference. That's the thing I learned. It's like, yeah, you can get 4k that's, but that's like just the zeros and ones. Uh -huh. What you really need to make an image look cinematic are the lenses. And, yes. and that's why they have those, you know, those lenses that were made in like the fifties that they still use because they're just so just spectacular and they just capture light in just such a unique way. And you don't always get to have access to those. Sometimes you, you know, like for Jerk, the uh, my last short film that I shot this year, um, I, you know, had many meetings with my DP and he was basically like, look, you know, we can spend this much money and we can get the, these and these are pretty good, but we can spend this much money. And this is like a, this is like a little bit more. And, you know, we went with the more because it's, uh, that does matter. Like, 
you know, what's hilarious is we see on commercials, like Apple commercials, they'll be like showing people shooting on like an iPhone, like the latest iPhone. Oh, yes. And and they're like, you know, in doing the movie thing. And, uh, you know, that's kind of deceptive because that's not really what they're doing. Uh, you need a focus puller, you need, uh, a camera operator and, yes. you know, there's a lot more moving parts. What they're trying to do is they're trying to show you how well their cinematic autofocus is. And, uh, is cool. you know, and to a point it looks good, but it looks very, oh, what's the word artificial. Yeah. And, and I think that's kind of the point is like everybody's being sold this idea that like it's easier than ever to make a film, which is true. Absolutely true. Historically speaking, now is the time to be a filmmaker. Yeah. However, there is still a dividing line between the like amateur and the professional and those with the eye for it can tell the difference. And yeah. I think really what independent filmmakers, myself included, are trying to do is trying to like fool those people into thinking like hey look at me i am professional i can do it at the level that you expect it to be at i don't just do it in my own avant-garde shooting it on my iphone editing it in iMovie kind of way i actually do it to the standards that you expect um which you know is its own can of worms of like gatekeeping and nepotism in the industry but um i digress yeah, but you're also using sometimes a, a lower grade product that these bigger guys are using, depending on what you're renting. And the fact that you can give them an image and sound that is very close to what they're used to looking at really, I feel, tells a lot about what you're able to accomplish. I see if you're able to accomplish more with less or equal with less, that just shows what a good filmmaker that you actually are. And yes, I think it's definitely possible it's exceedingly rare but it's absolutely possible to just have something that's very basic very um down to earth not using any kind of special effects or you know gizmos or even a great camera and you can still deliver something truly remarkable absolutely but um i think that's a lot harder than oh, yeah. i think certain people perceive i think that uh, even as high as some people think it is like how hard it is to do that. I think it's even harder than that uh, to achieve. It's like even more beyond that, which is why it's so special when an independent filmmaker or a student filmmaker or somebody comes out of the woodwork and they just create something that's just like undeniable. You go, wow, like that is incredible because most films, you know, we're all learning on the job. So it's uh, you're going to see a variety of different works, but the ones that really stand out, um, those are special. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Yeah, man. Uh, uh so, so good. Sorry. No, I was just going, um, to bring up the, uh, the, the last two projects. So I sent you, uh, viscous. Well, wait, wait, wait oh, one I'm... second. Wait one second. So you're no still worries. in college though. So I, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, please. I like veered off. Um, so you were the first year student in college, which is pretty cool. And, uh, you know, it sounded like they had a few bugs to work out and all that. Um, you made how many products projects while you're in college? So like ones I could actually show or I would put onto like a website. There's probably like six or seven that were legitimate. And then I probably had like three or four side projects I also did during that time. So back um, then, was it 
was it digital or was it film or was it a mix? It was the weird like uh, transition point between the two. So uh, we were one of the first uh, schools, not school, uh, not schools. I think other film schools did it, but uh, schools in or um, Arizona rather who got access to an HVX. So uh, HVXs were like this certain type of uh, camera that could record both onto tape um like high definition like 1080i tape and onto um like a card oh, and wow. so we i didn't even try to shoot anything on film i was like screw film i, would I was like nowhere to start it sounds so daunting to me when i hear when I'm listening to postmortem or, or, or I'm listening to uh, another show and these older filmmakers are talking about, well, when I was in the editing room, I was snipping this and this, and then I had to superimpose this and this is, I'm like, what in the hell? It's, it's, it's different. And in some ways it's simpler and more straightforward in other ways, it's grossly more complicated. And, you know, we kind of have to all lean toward what we like and what, that gives us the best end product. And I just kind of saw early, like probably in the early two thousands, because I graduated in um, 2009. So it'd be mid two thousands. I basically was like, you know what? Digital is the wave of the future. I should just learn how to use like non linear editing um, and just, you know, learn final cut pro or premiere pro, whatever's available. And, uh, just learn digital. And, and that's kind of what I staked everything on. And it was a good choice because obviously how things have turned out. Yes. But, uh, but uh, yeah, so that's what we shot on in college. And I think I, I don't know if I even shot my thing in 16.9. It might've even been like four, three, my um, capstone. Okay. Um, so, but uh, yeah, like my capstone was probably the, pro the project or the thing that um, I thought was going to like, break me into the industry i think everybody expects their capstone to do that but it's it's a hilarious thought but like uh it was called lucid and it was about a man who becomes addicted to dreaming oh and lucid dreaming okay and so like the film starts with him kind of having this annoying job and he's kind of pathetic and all these things. And then uh, he has a therapist and he's working through these issues. There's like this spooky woman, woman who appears in his dreams and scares him. And he, uh, as a part of the, how to control his dreams and make the spooky woman go away. His uh, therapist suggests uh, lucid dreaming, which is a real technique. And uh, so he goes through the, process of learning how to lucid dream and then he basically starts to do it so much and he starts to do even darker and darker things like he starts murdering people in his dreams and uh having wild sex with one of his co-workers in his dreams he has starts doing you know more and more uh quote-unquote bad things and uh, basically no i'm messing with you sir <laughs> no it's a it's like a thriller horror i would call it okay and that's what it sounded like and basically by the end he um doesn't know when he's dreaming and when he is not and then the spooky woman reappears and uh Dude. so that's uh that was my short it got into a bunch of festivals i came out to california a few times because it got into festivals and won awards out here and i was like wow i can maybe really do this and um 
yeah, that one was probably the one that um, made me really think that I could come out to L.A. and uh, start trying to do this. Well, and you did, and here you are, and you are doing this. So it sounds like you got a little sidetracked for a little bit there. <laughs> but uh, uh, Yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, – I am – it's like – it's it's interesting, Gary, uh, because I don't feel like I have reached – my goals yet and i think that's a very humbling thing to admit if anybody has though quite honestly i wonder if anybody has you know that's I'm true sure i'm sure there's filmmakers laying in their deathbed who've won academy awards who are thinking gosh i just wish i could have done this yeah i think i have pretty modest goals like for instance it's like get paid to make a feature that's a goal of mine i haven't done that yet yes. so that would be one i would like to do um before i die um, and there's a few others, but like, is that really a career? So my kind of goals have shifted a little bit. I definitely still want to be a filmmaker, but a lot of the realities of what, you know, we've mentioned earlier in this podcast, um, I can't ignore those completely. So my goals have changed. It's, you know, I always have the open-ended goal of, well, if I keep making these and I get an agent and then I can get work. And then it just pays me so much more in comparison to what I'm normally doing that this is just what I have to do because it makes me the most money. Well, 100%. Like, I'm absolutely going to always strive to do that. That goal has never changed. However, I think something that's a little more reasonable and I don't I don't murder myself over anymore. Like, I was a starving artist for far too long, like eating, you know, mac and cheese and getting part-time gigs and all those kinds of things, just trying to make a movie and be in debt. And yeah, I that, got myself into a little bit of trouble in my first film and I was eating out of dumpsters, but it was either do that or not get the film made. That's a, Oh no, Gary. That's a, I oh, never had to do that. Yeah, I, I pawned uh, my car, my car. I pawned my car to a pawn shop. I was eating out of dumpsters, man. It's it's something rough. Else, I did something else. Just batshit crazy. I can't remember what it was right now, but uh, yeah. yeah, but you know what? I got it made. And unfortunately, it was not the film that I had. This was a, a this was a a disaster film that I made the best of, mm -hmm. and it ended up costing me close to like I think it was like twenty grand by the time I was done. Okay. And you know I'm a custodian, right? So I'm not making that much money. And right. uh, I mean I'm doing okay, but I'm not. You know, I don't have money to blow. And so I'm doing all these side jobs and and building uh, these. I'm good at building things, and I and so I was building uh, some theatrical shows for money. I was building uh, decks for money, so I'd make these beautiful redwood decks and all this stuff, and all that would go back into the film budget. and And I'm just thinking, okay, so I'm going to pay these actors a thousand dollars a piece, and blah blah blah. And that yeah. was the dumbest thing I could have ever done. Like, don't get me wrong, I love those people to death, you know. And I'm the one who offered. Uh, but when you're making independent film without the guarantee of a payoff, probably not the best thing to do to pay your buddies a thousand dollars each to be in your film. And uh, no, not a good anyways, idea. Long story <laughs> short, it was it was an incredible learning experience, and right. and I got some pretty cool toys out of it. Um, but that but that was that was my film school. <laughs> well, I think that's kind of. You know, I think you have just mentioned a story as old as filmmaking time, Gary. Oh, yeah. That, which is basically um, every project is a learning experience. Every film, 
even the greatest of filmmakers, even Steven Spielberg, he learns and you and I learn more after every project. And I think that's probably the thing like you can't like, you know, you can fake it till you make it, but you can't have any longevity uh, in this business if you don't actually know what the hell you're doing and you don't do it at a competent level. And the people who are at a competent level can see right through your bullshit. Yes. And they don't put up with it because money's on the line and they don't want to waste their time. So you have to legitimately get good at it. It's like being an athlete. You can't like fake being an athlete. You just have to really be able to be good at whatever the thing is. And um, that's filmmaking is no difference. It's very much it can seem like it's not, but it is very much a meritocracy. And um, people forget, like even a bad film is unbelievably difficult to make. And it's something that I think only filmmakers can really, you know, commiserate and understand with each other. If it wasn't for for COVID, I would have had such a better time. You know, I had my script ready, all my sets and props ready. Everything was in a line. And then COVID hit. And so (laughs) I continued to keep filming, except I'd have to film with one person at a time and then superimpose them into the shot to make it look like. They were all in a group, which was which was very difficult. Uh, as the shoot keeps progressing, uh, you know, you're going at a much slower pace at this point. Well, people's bodies are changing. People are getting pregnant. One guy shaved his head, which I, I tripped out oh about. <laughs> and like, I didn't get mad at him, but I had called him. It was months months later. You know, I was ready to shoot, start shooting his scenes again. And he goes, "Oh, are we still making that?" Shit. Yeah, well, dude, this- we're still making that. Oh well, I shaved my head. So if you ever watch my film. You'll see that there's a lot of scenes with a person who is filmed from the eyebrows up. And that's because of the continuity. (laughs) Well, you know, Gary, I think the lesson that you learn there is shoot everything all at once. That's that's the lesson. And, you know, what's funny is I I think every filmmaker has has a similar story like that in one way or another. Mine is on Viscous, which is the um, horror movie. I uh, showed you the. Uh, I, I have one question about viscous. Uh, there, uh, there, there is a sure. trunk. Yeah, there is. Oh, was that trunk in a previous film of yours? Um. Yes. Okay, so it's the same trunk. All right. I just, I just wanted to check. I was like, hey. Yes. Yes. There's another project called Of Time. Yes. Where, uh, which is a, a interesting story, but um, but yeah, uh, viscous. I shot a. Uh, the climax sequence and all the like real fancy stuff at one time. And because we had script issues, I waited like three or four months and shot the rest of like the, basically the the prologue, the stuff leading up to that point in the film um, much later. And uh, I, that was one of my big, big mistakes on that project was I didn't have the script hammered out. Like I thought, like there was a lot of, um, opportunistic decisions that were made basically we had access to these this great crew in this impossible location that with the where the window if we didn't say yes like we were just gonna miss it so yeah. i pulled the trigger and uh we got access and we got this great footage you know you saw it. we got all this cool stuff in there and uh it uh but ultimately like i think that it hurt the film because um you just can never overlook the script the script is the most important thing and that's something i 
begrudgingly try to ignore for far too long because I'm like I like music videos too. I shot a few music videos uh, in my time, and uh, they're really fun projects because narrative, while important in those two, takes a little bit of a backseat. It's more about creating a spectacle and like right. It's an art at that point. Yeah, and uh, so. But with narrative, especially on Viscous, it was like the backbreaker. I was like, I spent a lot of money on this movie. I, but I didn't really know what my message was until after the fact. And if I did know, I I could have made production better and blah, blah, blah. You just, you know, you rake yourself over the coals to, you know, try to correct it next time. Um, yes. So that that's what I hope think well, i did with my similar next problem with with what you're talking about is i had six rewrites on my first film just because of covid and so it was not the film that i had set out to make and then when you add a, a, a time stretching out over time it uh it was i'm not going to say it was a disaster film because it's it's watchable and it's enjoyable at least i think so and and uh but it's not definitely not the film i set out to make and mm -hmm. it sounds like if you were able to get all your stuff shot at once maybe would this still be what we've seen today on that short film um i mean it would not have been for better or worse too like maybe it would have been worse somehow because i but it's would not been... a bad film though no no i i'm very proud of viscous yeah. i had a similar problem as, as you did gary where uh i shot and finished uh uh viscous in 2019 and then I got into the Pasadena International Film Festival, which is a very prestigious festival to get into. And uh, it gets into it, and but it gets into it March 2020. And that's exactly when the pandemic really started to take oh, off. No. And everything shut down. And dude, like you, I didn't know if the world was ending. I didn't know if I would be living in Los Angeles. If I, I didn't know if I was going to be alive in a year. You know, no one did at, during that weird well, time yeah when you're watching the news they were showing people just dropping over dead it looked like and yeah i've seen a whole bunch of people stuck on a cruise ship and everybody's getting sick and they're saying these people aren't going to make it and i'm like oh my god it was just really traumatizing for everybody right yes. during that time and basically it was like okay i cannot promote this short film like i would want to and put it on the back burner since then um I've moved to a different location in Los Angeles. I've uh, gotten this really great job that's really stable. It's the AV job I was telling you about. You know, a lot of things have like kind of settled down. And now it was like, okay, I can make a new film that's a little bit smaller in scope than like a Viscous was, but I'll be able to do it the justice and following through with the release and everything. And to be honest, Viscous could, I could still do something with, I, I've, I, I think, I think, think so. I think I want to put it on like a, like a Amazon prime platform or like a shutter kind of thing for like, or even like a Tubi or something where like, just so it has, it lives somewhere else other than just YouTube or Vimeo, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, I would I would like for I intend to try to do that in 2023 with Viscous, but um, I also was getting the itch, man. Like, I don't know about you, but uh, I start feeling like existential dread if I don't shoot a movie within like a two year time frame. I start I, like, yeah, no, I, I'll get anxiety. I've actually just finished my second uh, uh, feature 
And wow, congratulations. Thanks, man. And this one's this one I is pretty good. Uh, we were able to stick mostly with the script. Um, and I was working for a company called uh, Ranch of Horror, which the film is actually titled uh, of. And um, it's an actual trademark company and all that. And, and before the pandemic, they had multiple locations all over the United States that were um, haunted theme parks during Halloween, right? They would have multiple uh, haunted houses. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, once the pandemic hit, that all got shut down. And and they've those poor guys, man, they've taken a hit. I think they only have one location left at this point, and that's in like Missouri. Um, but anyways, oh, it's, it's yeah, but it's a fictional story based on their company and the characters they have in their company. A lot of you know, it's it's all horror, you know, scary, murderous clowns and crazy shit. And love it. And uh, but it was great, dude. We got to go all the way to Louisiana, film out one location over there, and all over the California and. Um, no, it's, it's been a lot of things, but, uh, you know, that's already winding down. I'm already looking at three projects ahead. I'm going to start my third feature probably in January. Originally it was going to be December, but here we are. And so it'll probably be in December and, uh, or I mean, January. And from there, I've got two more all the way up through probably the end of the summer, I think. But, but you got to understand for me, I'm from like a theater background. I'm used to building for theater. So what I try to look for are just like how theater is. This is your budget. This is a yeah. story you need to keep inside this bubble. And there's a lot of people who would disagree with me, but I don't have a lot of money. So if I'm throwing $10,000 at a project, that is a lot of money for me. I have to go out and raise it. I have to work for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I don't like borrowing money from people. I don't like borrowing money from a, from, from a bank. I don't like asking for money. I like to earn it. And so when I'm making a project, it, it's hard on me. Uh, so $10,000 is a lot of money for me. But uh, it, it, I think it is for almost anyone. Well, I mean, not, well, not yeah. almost anyone. But uh, but I think you're right. I think you bring up a really good point, Gary, where it's the only way to make a film. And this is a hard truth, too, that I had to realize is like, even raising money can be a pain in the ass because you st- you are beholden to the people who you know fundraise for you, and I would that's feel a lot so of guilty if I dropped the ball or screwed up. Yeah, exactly. And then like you, um, if they have their own say and maybe how the project is being made, or especially if you have like investors, right? If some people out there can get an angel investor who gives them a hundred grand to make something, and yeah, then they are are they really in control of their film? Maybe, maybe not. Like I think there's so many weird things come out of uh getting money from other people where you are kind of forced to self-finance and because of self-financing uh you have to make really hard decisions not just with the creative aspect but like your livelihood and how are you going to just eat you know pasta every night for the next month because you want to shoot a movie in three months from now like this current film this current film i actually moved out of my apartment and into my car for a little over a month uh because i wanted to get this finished and the company like i said that i was working for started running into some hardships so we we had a few conversations blah 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 and so anyways i decided okay i'm going to make this happen and it just so happens my apartment was going to go up another hundred dollars. And I thought, no. So I had talked to my girlfriend. I said, Hey, how would you feel about dating a homeless person? And she was like, what? And so, uh, anyway, she was cool with it. She helped me pack up and I lived in my car for a little over a month. And that gave me the funds to finish this, this current film. Well, I definitely, 
hope anybody listening does not force themselves to live in a car no, no, like no. you did, Gary. No. I think that that is an extreme thing, man. I'm sorry Very you had to extreme. do that. I'm but, sorry you had to do that, man. That's that is if something. You want your I project don't know. finished? It's either do I leave it 90 finished or do I or do I finish it? And the answer to that is no. I want to finish this. Well, I well hats off to you for being determined to do that. Um, I think, uh, but I think the underlying point of that all of that is. Uh, people don't realize that in order to make a film, you have to self-finance because if you don't, it's not going to be um, the kind of thing that you will need it to be, whether it's good or not, it will not be a true ref reflection of yourself a lot of the time. So I, I realized that. And, uh, you know, on viscous, I put myself into debt and then I basically hauled myself out of it uh, over the years after it. And then with Jerk, which is my latest short, the, the comedy, Dude. that that <laughs> that I had no idea what I was getting into. Good, I'm glad. That's exactly the whole point. <laughs> the the um that project, you know, I still spent around ten grand on it, and but I it was I knew ten grand would cover everything. You know what I mean? It was still like a this is a thing that. I need to be able to pay the people on it who are technically good enough to work on it. I know how long it's going to take for me to do. I, I don't want to sit on it and shoot some things now and then shoot some things like a few months later because I don't have the money yet. I didn't want to go through that experience. That'll kill your project, man. Not always. Totally. Oh, totally. God. So I I planned it out and did everything, quote unquote, like by the book and crossed my T's, dotted the I's. And, you know, I, from soup to nuts, basically, like I conceived the idea haha, for jerk to uh in uh december of 20 uh 21 and then i started on pre-production in march of 2022 shot it in june of 2022 and finished it in september of uh 2022 so i think that is a a great stretch of time right there to get that i mean that's perfect well, that's the, in my opinion, that's like, quote unquote, how I would like to do it moving forward. It's like all the other times in the past, I was just kind of like, it was like juggling chainsaws. It was like, da, 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 I'm trying to do all this crazy stuff and make a movie at the same time. Um, and I didn't have a plan. And for this one, I did. And I think it shows in the product, too. I think yes. that it's it's focused. It's easy to understand. And um, technically, I think it's, you know on par with any other short film out there as far as the way it could look and sound. So um, I'm really happy with that project and I can't wait to show it to other people. It's going to start premiering um, in 2023 officially on the film circuit market. Uh, I don't really know um, what it'll be in yet because I haven't, they haven't all gotten back to me. It has gotten into one, um the los angeles let me see if i get this name this name right it's the los angeles comedy film and screenplay festival so <laughs> and it won an award there i think i might be breaking the news um it won best screwball comedy award did you get to go see it uh, on the big screen Is it has not it has not a uh, premiered or anything yet they're okay. doing like an online thing too and like they have an interesting setup over there they like send it either as screeners or they have a certain group of people watch it in a particular setting and then they give you feedback on the movie and i'm going to be doing a podcast interview with them 
later this month as well, supposedly. So I don't know. They're going to promote it. Let me know when that drops. I want to listen to it. Yeah, I will um, share it. You know, I don't really use social media like a lot of people use social media. Like um, I use it. I use it like a a hermit. I don't really like social media very much. So I. Uh, It's become kind of a toxic place. It's not what it once was. So I begin with, but it's, it's gotten worse. I'm not good at like promoting all my stuff. Like that's probably one of my weakest points in this game is that like my output is really high and I think that I'm getting better at everything, but what I'm not good at yet is like the self-promotion and marketing aspect of it. That's always been like my Achilles heel. I feel like I need like an agent or a manager to like help me with that part. Um, and that's what I'm hoping to try to do over the next, you know, year or two is get some kind of representation because that's really the the gateway to getting paid to do stuff is um, getting someone else to help you find those projects. And uh, episode two of this show with uh, David Ruse, that was a good one. Uh, uh, David is an independent filmmaker from Washington. I've known him for years and years and years, but. He went through the ringer trying to find representation. There's a lot of sharks out there that mm-hmm. uh, are, are there for their own benefit. And, and as a company, you know, you, you got to do that, but it's a bit much. And he's actually found a quite a few reputable places that take independent filmmakers and they, and they uh, uh, help them out. And um, hmm. like, I think he's getting a 60, 40 split right now. And he's the 60. And they're the ones marketing, advertising, and doing all that. And it goes straight to DVD actually next month. That's well, that's uh, great for him. Yeah. I'm I'm glad there are, you know, options out there. You know, I've my approach has been and it's a slow and steady approach. I haven't really quote unquote broken through in that way yet. But uh it's always been like it kind of is supposed to happen naturally, right? It's like you yeah. make you have to make things that are impressive enough for for you to be sought after. That's just really, that's one of the hardest truths too about all this. A lot of hard truths on this podcast, Gary. Um, yes. Is is like there's still this sense of like uh, being. You have to be chosen. It's like oh, I have to put all this work and sacrifice and do all this stuff to make a thing, and almost like put it up on a little platter and hold it up above my head like Oliver Twist. Yeah, and just be like, please uh, look at my thing, and then they they go hmm, and they either like smack it aside, like next, please, or you are quote unquote cho- chosen, and it's almost like the claw from Toy Story, where you're like, yay, like I'm getting chosen finally, like yeah. it, it's not even my choice, almost like it's weird, like there but, is. But that's your job, though, in this business. Uh, for me, I'm content making independent film till the day I die, you know, and if right. and I'm. I would love to make money off my films, but that's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I like it. And if people like it too, that just, oh man, that makes me happy. But for you, who's someone who, who's really trying hard to get in this business. Cause like I said, everything you make is look really nice and and you're doing everything right. Um, You are your product. So you need to make yourself as, as eye catching as possible. So for you to be up on that platter, I mean, this is, you know, you you got to market yourself, man. Well, I think that's, you know, I, I think that there's like some tried and true methods of uh, like putting yourself out there that I'm just now kind of starting to implement, which is like, first and foremost, you need to make something 
um, that is good, which is like, what is good? Hmm, is it a philosophical question? Is it a critical question? It's like, it's it's kind of weird. Like, what is good? <laughs> the definition of the good is I don't know, but I know it when I see it. That's kind of the definition of it. But people it, will remember jerk. I think they will too. Well, because jerk is like my most strategized film probably where it's very short but it also feels like it's a lot it's uh what is it it uh is meant for the festival kind of world because like you've been to probably tons of film festivals and seen i've never been to a film festival i've never submitted my work yet oh you should gary what are you waiting for i i got shy with my first oh film forget and, uh, that throw that out the window he's like he's like this dude is... your, your film is fine I was like, yeah, okay. man, like you, if, if you are too shy about showing your work, this is not the industry for you. No, like, it's you, not. No. You have to be, it, it is a, it does take courage because it is, you are very vulnerable, but um, that's the whole point. You know, you don't want to be that guy who just like twiddles away and like makes a bunch of little short films and locks them in a hard drive. And then after you die, they like, Oh, this madman created all of the right films. it's like instead you know share it with the world it's meant to be shared but well, um, i shared it on youtube but i did not promote it and it's still up there but uh, it's it's going to get yanked at some point and then i'll, I'll um i was gonna those. finish my point real quick about the aiming toward the festivals is that like there's like a genre to festivals like it's its own thing and there's an expectation of the beginning middle and end and it's uh, you know, like there, there's certain kinds of short films. There's the kind that just like, um, you know, has like one cool moment in it. Th those, you know, there, there's like the ones I like to call magic trick uh, short films where like, it's all for like a cool gag, like a visual gag or something. Um, some are like mini plots where it's just like a slice of light. And it's really just about the cinematography and the, you know, way it's shot and the music and like, there's all these like little micro ways to strategize in how you make a film. And with jerk, I wanted to kind of be like, what if this is like a little mini episode of a really high quality, like TV show that you can watch on like Netflix or something. And that, that's, that's what I'm getting at. Like the, the examples that you just said previous, they're pretty, but nobody's going to remember that. I hate to be like that, but nobody's going to remember. Oh, you remember that really one thing that was really they might, you know, it depends. I don't know. Maybe it's just because of me. Like I would more so remember <laughs> what was going on in your film. I don't want to give too much away from your film. Yeah. But, yeah. So I'm not trying to like, so that's no, what no. I, yeah. The film has, it's like any comedy it's there's surprise and correct. And I don't want to ruin it for people Well, um, because I got a kick out of it, not knowing what I was getting into. And I was like, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. And <laughs> Uh, but people remember that. Well, I, I hope so. I mean, that's my hope. And it, I guess it's like, here's, here's kind of an interesting topic um, that I'd like to touch with you, Gary. It's kind of wrapped into this, which is like, what happens when you make a film and it does do well? Let's say in the future, you know, we're two wizards, right? We're looking into the future and we're like, hey, jerk does well. Let's just say, hopefully. And if it does, I'm almost at a weird place. This is something I still haven't figured out. I'm kind of embarrassed to admit it, which is like, okay, it does really well at all these festivals. And then what? It's like you reach out to the people you can share it with. You contact 
representation entities well, and, I, I you think know. it comes down to how are you wanting to market yourself or if you're wanting to become a film director then you need to start showing that hey this one this and this and this and this and finding representation that could uh, put it in front of the people that you you would hope to work for sure uh, if you're going for a a pretty camera thing, let's say you want to be a, a DP, a director of photography, you would make that beautiful film that you just talked about earlier that personally I wouldn't remember. But there's companies out there who are looking for a beautiful look. Maybe it's for a drama. I don't know. And, and that's what that person would market his stuff for if he was winning awards. So mm. I don't know if that helps you or not. Um, uh, I'm new I, to this too. I'm just well, I, for me. It's like I can tell you what my guess is. You know, I, I admitted I don't know, but here's my guess because this is kind of what I'm tr- going to try to do in 2023. Is I got this short film that I think works. Uh, you know, I'm already kind of getting a little buzz at these the small local festival. Hopefully, more national festivals feel the same way. Uh, if that does happen, I need to make sure I have a feature script ready. That's one thing. So um, I'm in the process of writing a feature based upon. Oh, yes. oh good. That was a, a question I was wanting to ask. Because, oh, what's that? Oh, I said that was a question I was wanting to ask if this was, do you think ever going to be developed into a, a full length film? And uh... I, I think to um, make that transition we were, we've been talking about this whole time, I think. Right you have to have your work in literature ready and you uh, having, even if you can't write it yourself, like have someone help you co-write it or something like just having uh, some sample works ready. Cause I have three or four features I've, I've written that are just kind of like in the closet somewhere. And I'm now currently writing this one. And um, I think if you don't have that ready, then there's nothing that you can give somebody who's looking to work with you because that's the next logical step. They're not, what are they going to do? They're going to buy your short film and put it on a short film platform. Probably not what they're, oh, I could see them buying the the rights to it though and making their own full length film. You get in the shaft. That's true. Um, but you, it still puts yourself in a much more advantageous position. If you do have the script ready, because right. then you can get credit for that. That can be a negotiating term. There's all these things that are in play there. So like uh, that's one part of the strategy I'm going to do is have that script ready. Another is if the film is somewhat successful in the festival circuit, that kind of helps with the organic aspect of, of success. It's like, okay, you start generating some buzz. It's not just me or a friend of a friend who's saying that the film is good. It's these, different entities that have some kind of clout or some kind of respect to their name. And then, okay, I can now bundle that into some kind of, I don't know, marketing package where I can send that directly through the avenues um, that I may have to certain individuals or certain people um, that are part of companies or what have you that can then look at that material and see the evidence that it's a good work and can, they can watch the work. Yes. And then that's kind of where things get a little fuzzy is like, then do they get back to me? And then we start talking and then we take it from here to there. Like, I don't know. Well, and that's, that's a very good question. Uh, 
Yeah. If you ever find out, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, I'll update you next time on, on the pod, uh, Gary. Um, I hope I can come back again. I would, uh, what I like to do with my guests who, uh, such as yourself, uh, I'm th- I, I like to try to touch base with them in like another year. Cool. And, uh, and, and see where you are at that point. Uh, or if there has been like an event or something that is, that is happening, you're like, Hey dude, I, I'm ready to come back. I'd be like, okay. Yeah, man. Well, you can continue to listen to, uh, postmortem, uh, with the, the, amazing indelible uh mick garris and uh you can continue to listen to uh my own podcast hollywood hangover with the equally impressive and unique and wonderful joe russo so uh that would be awesome so you can kind of touch base with me in that way and everybody else can do the same too dude it's yeah i'm big fans of both those podcasts yeah man well it was a great talking to you yeah Yeah, thank and, you so much for coming on. Yeah, man. Uh, sorry if I rambled a little too oh, much there. Oh, no, no, no. This, this was a very interesting conversation. And uh, I wish you best of luck with Jerk. I think it's going to do something, man. Uh, uh-huh. Well, thank you, Gary. If it gets your stamp of approval, uh, that uh, bodes well. <laughs> oh, so, thank you very much, dude. And hey, Gary, uh, I appreciate your filmmaking spirit, man. Uh, I love how much you enjoy cinema. I love how big of a fan you are of uh, the Garris podcast and my own podcast. So um, just letting you know, I appreciate you, man. And thank you for uh, having me on. Thanks, bud. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. This has been an episode of The Independent Filmmaker. If you are a filmmaker and would like to be on the show, drop us an email at tifilmmaker at gmail.com. That's all one word, tifilmmaker at gmail.com. There's new episodes every Monday.